All right, friends, well, welcome to the table. This, per usual, is always my favorite night of the week. And tonight I'm really excited because we're going to be starting a new series that I hope is really fruitful and feels really specific um, because we curate all of the content with y'all specifically in mind. And so I hope for the next um, few weeks that we have the table that you feel like this content was really made for you. And I've had a lot of conversations with y'all in this room and some of our friends that aren't in this room, and it's really obvious to me that we all have a lot of hopes and dreams for ourselves, for Wesley, for our faith. We all really long to go deeper and to have a richness of our faith. And we want people to experience here what we've experienced. And so we all really want the same things at the end of the day. And so I think the question becomes for me as I hear y'all's conversations and um, just in my own life and my own experience is I can have all this excitement and I can have all these hopes and dreams. And yet at some point, I just feel like I hit a plateau. I just kind of hit a phase where I feel stuck. Um, And so whether that's at Wesley or whether that's in your faith life or in your friendships, there just becomes this cycle where you are full of excitement and full of energy and full of hopes and dreams for what's to come. And then something happens, you hit a plateau, you get stuck, and it just leads to disappointment. And then you become recharged and refreshed and you have excitement again and hopes and dreams and then you hit a plateau or you get stuck and it leads to disappointment. And I've been, I'm going on I think year four that I'll be entering as being in this role um, or being at Wesley. And so I've really seen this as a trend year to year, semester to semester with students on a whole variety of things where people just get so stuck in this cycle over and over and over again. And I've been thinking post-retreat, this weekend that really is designed to be a moment to recharge and feel refreshed, how can we actually live out all that excitement, right? How can we take the excitement if you're on retreat or maybe just have a moment to be recharged and recentered? How can we actually make that excitement sustainable and actually lead us to avoiding the stuck phase or the plateau phase or the disappointment phase? How do we resist experiencing a plateau and keep this excitement in a really sustainable way that leads us to actually experiencing all the hopes and dreams that we have for ourselves? And so I want to suggest the reason why we might be entering into this plateau phase or into the disappointment phase in the first place. And I think it happens because we get stuck on something. And I don't know what type of experience you have with the word stuck. I don't know if that is something that you feel like doesn't really apply to you because you're here and you show up and you're working towards things and so maybe you feel like that's not quite you. But I want to argue that I think we are all stuck on something and that what we are stuck on is what is leading us into this plateau, whether in our faith, our relationships, or experience here. 
And so my goal for tonight is to share my perspective on what I think a lot of us can be stuck on. And then I wanna offer a solution. And so I'm gonna do my best to offer a solution that could lead hopefully not only just to personal breakthrough for you, personal breakthrough in your faith and your relationships, and, um, but also breakthrough in Wesley and everyone's experience here. And so to do that, to talk about what we're stuck on, first I wanna really get back to the basics, okay? So I want us to talk for a minute about what what does it even mean to have faith? What does it even mean to have a faith that you can grow deeper in at all? What is it that we believe here at Wesley? And so I wanna offer you this really good news, okay? You might've heard this before, <laughs> but this is what we believe here, okay? We believe that there is a God, the sole creator of the universe that creates all things good and that this creator is love in the most perfect sense of our understanding of that word, most perfect and holy sense of love. And true love requires sacrifice and selflessness. And so God decides not, not to contain all this love just for himself. And so God creates. God created the stars and the earth and the heavens and all sorts of beings and animals and flowers and everything that you see around you and even things you can't see, God creates as a direct expression of God's love. And then enter humanity. God created you, God created me, vice versa that. <laughs> and we are all created by a God who loves us deeply and desires for us to love God deeply in return. But like I said, true love requires sacrifice and releasing control. And so God gives humanity free will, the option to choose. What an immediate sacrifice God makes. By giving humanity free will, God gives his beloved children the option to hate their creator. But that means God also gives his beloved children the option to choose to love our creator and experience God's love through everything he created, the earth and other people, which is exactly what God intended, right? That we get this picture of the Garden of Eden as an example of humanity in the most perfect sense, perfect harmony with ourselves, with each other, with God's creation and God's self. But our own desire to decide what is right and wrong, our desire to be God, our desire to control leads humanity to making a choice that breaks God's heart. Enter the conversation of sin. We're gonna talk a lot about this next week but sin creates consequences in our lives and it leads to brokenness. God's desire for wholeness is seemingly shattered. And while there are consequences, God promises in Genesis 3 that he has a plan for full restoration. That he's not giving up on humanity, but rather invites humanity to be partners with God in this plan of restoration. So before you even get to the New Testament, what we call the New Testament. We know there is a God 
who deeply loves his creation and desires to draw near to his children regardless of the mistakes that they make. That is such good news already. And then you carry on through scripture and you follow the story of humanity and their ability to choose. And you have story after story of humanity making really bad mistakes and story after story of humanity loving God faithfully. But what you have consistently, time and time again, is this God, our creator, tries to show his people how to best live, how to be fully human, how to experience wholeness. (coughs) But humanity, we're tricky. We are not the easiest of all creation, and we mess up all the time. You can probably think today when you have done something that you kind of regret or thought something that you didn't want to think, but God is faithful, even when we aren't. And God's love and desire to draw near to humanity is perfectly expressed by God deciding to become human. And this is just another sacrifice that God is making for us. God the Son is born as a baby named Jesus and fulfills these prophecies throughout the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And these people, God's people, are asking themselves, could this baby be the Messiah that the people of God have been looking for? The Savior that will truly free them from oppression and become their king? And what we have the privilege of knowing already is that Jesus was the Savior, but he didn't just save the Israelites or the Jewish people from oppression from Rome. Jesus freed all people from the oppression of sin. And Jesus lived this perfect life. He fulfilled every law of God perfectly. He lived a life that we never could. And Jesus was God's love expressed as a human being. He gave humanity a physical representation of God the Father. Jesus was patient. Jesus was kind. Jesus was selfless, a healer, a miracle worker, loving fully. And Jesus was on mission to do a few things. One, to show humans how to live fully human, how to fully experience all that God created perfectly, and to save us when we couldn't save ourselves, to free us from our greatest oppressor, (coughs) ourselves. So even though Jesus was perfect, the teachings he taught were super radical, and they pissed a lot of people off, and he ultimately was murdered in a horrific, gruesome, humiliating way by death on a Roman cross, crucifixion. So these people are asking, what kind of savior is this? What kind of king dies in such an embarrassing way? And his followers were devastated. And evil had seemingly won. But like I said, you've probably heard this story before, and you know the ending, that Jesus conquers death, conquers sin, conquers evil, and resurrected. Christianity is built around a human being coming back to life. That's like really weird and insane, by the way. But through the resurrection, Jesus gives humanity hope. Jesus gives his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to actually fill his people, 
No longer will God dwell in a pillar of fire or in a tabernacle or even in the personhood of Jesus. Now God will dwell within his people. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we are guided and get to know the will of God today. And we have the promise that God's plan for restoration is still in the works and that one day we will experience the garden again, the city on a hill, the new heaven, the new earth, and one day we will experience wholeness, that humanity will be restored, fully experiencing God's creation, perfectly eternal harmony with our creator, the end. Now my guess is that you've heard this before, and you might be asking, okay, how does hearing the gospel again help me not feel stuck in my faith? Or how does that break out of the cycle of disappointment that I feel at Wesley? My guess is many of you are already thinking, I know the gospel. I've heard that before. How is this actually helping me? So if you're thinking that question, or you zoned out during that presentation of the gospel, or you're thinking some question kind of similar, friends, that is the problem that I want to talk about. Understanding the gospel intellectually is not the point. It's not a good story. The whole point is the point of our entire existence as humans. I think that many of us know the gospel in our minds and we believe it in our hearts, but our lives are a response as if it's just a good story. And I think that you might be stuck in your faith or stuck on a plateau in Wesley, or stuck in your relationships, because we often misunderstand how the gospel, the death, life, resurrection of Jesus Christ actually applies to our real everyday lives right now. So to better paint a picture of what I'm talking about, we need to understand how we are positioned today, okay? Essentially, what the gospel is meaning in our lives is that we are between two times. In between the resurrection of Jesus and in between the new heaven and the new earth. We exist between two pillars. We know what we are saved from and what that means for what we hope for. And to be a Christian today means that you are an in-between person which is very similar to your experience of being in college, right? You're not in high school anymore, you have some freedom, but you're not quite like a full free range adult with a career and all the responsibilities and all the things. You're trying to do your best in this season being in between two points of time for yourself. And you might be asking yourself in the season of college, what's my purpose? What do relationships look like here? What do I want for my life? How do I stay connected to my family? How do I express my freedom? How do I prioritize my morals and my values? 
And I think all these questions are exactly the same questions that we as Christians ask today. What is my purpose? What is God's plan for my life? What do relationships with other people look like? How do I best use my freedom? This is where we are stuck. We are stuck asking these questions because we have misunderstood the gospel and we treat the gospel like it's just a good story. And I think we've confused the pillars that we're sandwiched between. I think that we trade the pillar of the resurrection and the pillar of the future of heaven and we don't exist between those pillars. We exist between the pillar of our own past and our own hope for what the future looks like. So I want you to follow me for a second here. How you are stuck, why you are stuck, I really, really think is because we misplace the pillars we live between. And I just want you to think for a second about what do you talk about all the time? What do you dwell on all the time? What are you anxious about all the time? I don't think that this is new for us. And I'm going to give you some biblical examples of what I'm talking about so you can see this in practice. In Numbers 11, if you have your Bibles, you can open to this, but you'll read it later too. You see the Israelites, God's chosen people who have literally just been freed from slavery. God does miracles right in front of them, and he splits the Red Sea, and he tells them that they just need to follow him, and they'll be led into the promised land. But these same people who literally walked on dry ground in between the sea, a miracle right in front of them, they get out of slavery and start experiencing freedom, and almost immediately they start complaining. God is literally like having food float down from the heavens to provide for them. And they are complaining about how they want the melons and they want the leeks and they want the meat from Egypt where they were just enslaved. And they dwelled and they romanticized the past and literally thought that slavery would be better for them than what God was offering in their current season. Or take the disciples, Mark 10. They've been following Jesus for some time now. They're comfortable with Jesus. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. And they're learning intellectually about what it means to follow him. But as they're sitting at the dinner table with Jesus, they begin to argue about which one of them is better than the other and which one of them is going to get the best seat in heaven. They become prideful. And they trade the teachings of Jesus for acting better than one another. So what does it mean when I say that we misunderstand the gospel? What does it mean to confuse the pillars that you exist between? Why are you stuck? I think some of us are like the Israelites who dwell on the past. And even though Jesus has freed you from your old life and your old mistakes and your old slavery, even though you are free, you can't help but just think, Ugh, my youth group was so freaking awesome and this is just not the same. Or 
I'm crushed because of the breakup that I experienced, or I wish that I could have dated this person, or I wish that Wesley was the way that it was my personal favorite. Or I wish that there was a time like when I was on fire for God and I just left that conference or just got back from camp and I just loved Jesus so much. I wish I could go back to that feeling. Or I wish my life was just easier like it was then. If you are like that and you constantly dwell on the past, you are just like the Israelites. And you know what happened to them? This group of people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation of people never experienced the promised land because they could not stop dwelling on the past. Maybe some of you are stuck because you are wandering around in the metaphorical wilderness, wishing to go back to slavery, or at minimum, You've become someone who just grumbles and is negative because your life right now isn't exactly as you pictured it would be. Or maybe you're like the disciples, that you feel really comfortable in your faith. You've been in church for a long time. You grew up in the faith. You're comfortable with the stories. You think you understand the foundations of what it means to follow Jesus, and you, you believe it in your heart, and you desire to grow deeper intellectually. All fantastic things. Except when we misplace the hope of heaven for our idea of what the future should be like, we become anxious we become controlling, and we become prideful. And we are so quick to be just like the disciples, arguing amongst ourselves who is doing faith right, and who is better than the other, and who is going to get to heaven faster, and who knows Jesus the right way. We become people who think if we just had more knowledge of God, then we'd be better off. And friends, the reality is when we misplace these pillars, They become blinders for us. All you see is the past and the future, the way that you want to see them. You become blinded, you become stuck, you become stagnant, you become grumpy, you misunderstand the gospel, and you are missing the invitation of God right in front of you. The thing with the Israelites and the disciples is that they missed God right in front of them. The Israelites literally had the presence of God dwelling with them in a pillar of fire, literally leading them along the way, and in a pillar of clouds. But their obsession with romanticizing the past led them to wander around, even though God was right there nudging them along. And the disciples literally sat at the feet of Jesus. Can you even imagine that? And they ate with Jesus, and they knew Jesus deeply, and yet they argued, and they were judgmental. But this wouldn't be a great sermon if I just left you there. I promised I would offer you a solution. 
And I actually have experienced this leading to personal breakthrough in my life, and I have actually seen this work here at Wesley. What I am asking is that we all remove the blinders, that we stop dwelling on the past, and we stop trying to control the future that we want to create. Because I promise, when you remove the blinders, what are you looking at? When you put the pillars in the right spot, and they're not blinding you anymore, you are looking face to face with your creator. You and Jesus are just locked eyes. And you begin to see the world around you the way God sees the world. You begin to understand your identity as these in-between people, as Christians here and now. And you begin to understand how the gospel is not just a good story or something that you intellectually believe in your mind or think you believe in your heart. You understand that the gospel transforms your life right now. So here is a very, very practical way to understand the gospel transforming your life. When you believe in the resurrection and you believe that Jesus died for your sins, the mistakes that you've already made and the ones that you don't even know that you're going to make yet, that God loved you so much that he refused to let our cycle of sin get in the way of experiencing a relationship with him, when you truly recognize the weight of your sin and the sacrifice of Jesus, there is really only one true response to that, that you live differently today. So what do I mean? When you actually believe in this pillar, the resurrection, you don't wallow in your shame or guilt anymore. You're not suffocated by your sin anymore. You don't constantly lay in bed at night just regretting all these awkward or horrible moments you've had in your life. You experience real freedom. Like in Romans 8, where it says there's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. And when you actually understand what the resurrection means, you extend forgiveness and grace like it is nobody's business. Because here's the deal. If you are not quick to forgive, you are not quick to extend grace, regardless of the information that you know about a person or a situation, if you hold grudges, if you lack mercy, if you lack grace, you don't understand that it was actually supposed to be you on the cross. And the evidence that you're alive and breathing is proof that Jesus took your place and paid the price for your sin. So who are we to withhold grace and mercy when it was so freely given to us in the first place? When you believe in the resurrection, you are freed from shame and you extend grace freely. And when you believe in the promise of heaven to come, there are also two practical things that should happen in your everyday life. You should be hopeful. Pessimism like should not exist in your life. You understand that suffering happens and the world is hurting and you have empathy and you are living in reality, but you have a peace 
that is not determined by your circumstance. As Paul says in Philippians, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. You're not riding the roller coaster of life. You are planted, you are rooted, you are steadfast, you are peaceful because you have hope that one day there will be wholeness again. And if you believe in heaven, you understand that you are invited to participate in God's plan for restoration right now. Have you ever wondered why God did not create humanity immediately in heaven? Why did God put us on earth? I believe because being human isn't a bad thing, where we just wish away our lives and only care about getting to heaven. I think being human is a beautiful gift to experience God's love expressed through creation all around us. And so if you believe in the promise of heaven, you don't just sit around and think, oh, well, when I was seven, I confessed that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm just going to wait to die and go to heaven and just like, meh, do the best I can. No. <laughs> no, you're missing out on like the best part, which is that we get to participate right now in God's plan for restoration. You get to experience what it means to be fully human. And you offer that to other people. You offer the hope and the freedom that you found. You get to experience the joy of the Lord right now. And when you believe in heaven, that does not grant you the position to sit on the holier-than-thou throne, friends. You want other people to experience the love of Jesus, right? People will not be drawn to Jesus by your judgment of them. No one actually comes to know Jesus by the people who stand on the corner screaming out a microphone. People are drawn to know Jesus because of your love for them. So I'm going to invite the band back up. Friends, if you're stuck in your faith, if you are stuck deciding about different scenarios in your life, if you are stuck in your relationships, if you are stuck here at Wesley, if you are stuck, insert your specific experience. There are a lot of reasons for that. And throughout the course of this last little bit of the semester we have, we're gonna talk about different stumbling blocks that we experience in our faith. But tonight, here's the deal. Could you possibly feel stagnant, stuck, confused, flustered, frustrated because you have blinders on? Are you letting the past or future define you more than the resurrection and hope for heaven? Are your eyes locked on Jesus? Do you live in the freedom that he died to give you? Do you extend forgiveness and grace freely? Are you enjoying creation? Are you helping others experience the love of Jesus by extending true love, which, by the way, is sacrifice? It's the ability honoring people's free will, and it is selfless.
Are you actually living the best you can as an in-between person? Marked by the resurrection and the hope of heaven to come. That's the gospel, friends. That is what it means to be a Christian. It's not just this good story. It's not just a set of rules that we follow. It's not only an intellectual understanding. To be a Christian is a way of life. Marked by our creator. It's living with nothing blocking your vision of Jesus. You and Jesus, eyes locked. It's how you view the world. It's how you view your past. It's how you view your future. It's how you view other people. I love how this is described in Hebrews 12 too. It'll be on the screen. Looking only at Jesus. Only at Jesus. Not your mistakes. Not what other people are doing. Not how people are living their lives. Not casting judgment. Not looking at your next exam, not looking at the person that you want to marry one day, not, no. Looking only at Jesus. The originator, the perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Lock eyes on Jesus, friends. It is the most beautiful experience of being human. To be transformed by the resurrection, to be transformed by the hope of heaven that we have. What we get to do is to draw near to God like he has time and time and time again drawn near to us. I promise you, when your eyes are locked on Jesus, you will have clarity. You will have depth. You will have answers that you are seeking a lot of the time. You will become unstuck. Your excitement will become sustainable you will experience growth. This is just step one, friends. <laughs> our faith journey takes our whole dang lives. But this is the solution I'm offering now. That we start together, remove the blinders, lock eyes with Jesus, and come talk to me or any of your leaders or staff people if you want to know the next steps of what it looks like to go deeper. But what I'm asking tonight is that we really live the best we can as in-between people because that is what it means to be Christian and that is what sets us apart. So do you want that? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for tonight, Lord. I thank